0: Jesus was a friend to the irreligious. He attracted the sinners and the tax collectors, while the religious people of Jesus' day were often at odds with his teachings and methods. Perhaps this is because Jesus didn't come to make people religious, but to invite them into a relationship. The great irony of Christianity is that it was founded by a man who came to end religion, not start a new one. Join us for a series exploring the irreligious teachings of Jesus and what they mean for us today. Good morning, and thanks for joining us, Southside Baptist Church Online. We're so glad you're a part of our online community. Uh, as we get used to this new reality, thank you for commenting. Uh, on this feed for liking it for sharing it with your friends we want to connect with as many of our friends and family as possible also reach out to our community and make sure that they can engage uh, in worship uh, because we know that right now our world is facing unprecedented times as we just find new ways and use new technologies to worship together so thanks for being a part a couple things we want to keep you informed about at Southside a way you can keep it connected to us is to text the word update to 904-441-8650 update 904-441-8650. That will keep you getting text messages from us so that you can know of upcoming events online. You can keep informed about things that are going on, needs, opportunities to serve together. So please do that for us. Also, we want to invite all of you, if you haven't already, to like us on Facebook and to join our Facebook group. That's an important way to stay connected. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already done that. We are looking for everybody to subscribe. That way you can stay connected with all of our events that we're going to be posting we're going to be posting worship services on sunday but we're also going to be posting events throughout the week and we want you to be able to join us in that as well also we want to let you know that you should be getting a contact soon if you haven't already if you're part of the Southside family and you're part of one of our small groups a deacon or a small group leader is going to reach out to you about being a part of a zoom meeting. This is a resource that we've made available for our small groups to be able to meet online, video conferencing, phone conferencing, because it's so important that you stay connected with each other. Uh, so that meeting could just be uh, a well check for everybody. How's everybody doing? Praying together. Even using the, uh, the sermon uh, guide to discuss uh, in your small group together, have Bible study together. So you can connect that way as well. If you're not regularly part of a small group, but you want to be, again, comment below, reach out to us, and we'll let you know how you can be a part of a of an online small group. Also, tonight, Facebook Live event, we are going to wrap up our Losing My Religion series by doing a question and comment session, a talk back session. So tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, join us. uh, Have your questions prepared. Many of you have already submitted questions. You can submit questions uh, on this broadcast as well. You just post them down below. We'll try to answer those questions tonight in our talkback session at 7 o'clock, so make sure you join us uh, for that. Now, we've been in this series called Losing My Religion for several weeks. We're wrapping it up today, and we started the whole series out by talking about this in terms of a cup. Uh, Religion is kind of like a cup. Uh, Cups are necessary. They're useful. Different cups are better for different things. You may have cups that are special to you, uh, beautiful cups, rugged cups, uh, but the cup is not what quenches your thirst. Uh, It is what is in the cup, the content of the cup, that quenches your thirst. Religion is like a cup. It is what is in the cup that matters. And we are talking about uh, Jesus being the living water, that our relationship with Jesus is what is so critically important. Our religion may be an important and beautiful reflection uh, on the outside of what is going on on the inside, but for many people, unfortunately, cold, dead religion and the appearance of it has just replaced anything that's really happening on the inside of their heart and life. And Jesus came to shut that down. In fact, when Jesus engaged with some of the religious leaders of his day, he called them uh, whitewashed tombs. Meaning that they looked great on the outside, but the inside, they were dead. He said they were filthy cups. Uh, So this whole idea that, that somehow we can just look good on the outside, but have all kinds of emptiness and brokenness on the inside. That's not what Jesus came to do for us. He came to fill us with the living water. So we've been talking about that for several weeks and I'll just make this statement. I had no idea when I started this series that we would finish it under these circumstances. Nobody could have imagined that. That we would actually completely be cut off from one another. That we would be cut off from our facilities. That all of our programmings and events would have been canceled. Nobody would have imagined But just think about what we've been talking about for the last five or six weeks. The church is not a building, it's a body. A a religious organization might need a building to meet in, but the body of Christ doesn't. It is about the people. We also said several weeks ago that the church is not a meeting, it's a movement. And it's almost like God has teed up for us this season just to really put us to the test. Are we really a movement or are we just committed to meeting together at a particular time. The church is not about programs, as important as programs are, and we're gonna even do some online programs to keep people engaged, but it's not about the programs, it's about the people. So we've got a unique time right now in the life of our church to really put all of that on display as we just focus on the body of Christ, the movement of Christ's mission, and focus on the people. So today, I want us to look at the day that religion died, and I want us to take some time to really consider what really brought about the end of religion. Because remember, that's our main idea. Our main idea for the last few weeks has been that Jesus came to shut down religion. That's the big idea. Now that is a controversial statement today for many people and it was a very controversial reality when Jesus came to do it. And the question is, how did he do this? How did Jesus shut down religion? And the irony is that it was his death on the cross at the hand of the religious and political leaders of his day that ultimately backfired and led to the end of religion. Listen to this quote by Gary Wills. He said this, the most striking resented and dangerous of Jesus' activities was his opposition to religion as that was understood in his time. This is what led to his death. Religion killed him. But what those religious and political leaders didn't know was that their execution of Jesus was the very thing that was going to put an end to their religious institution and our dependence on it once and for all. Until Jesus' death, our relationship, our connection with God was always dependent on what we did, the sacrifices we offered, the way we kept the law, the way we tried to keep ourselves pure and followed all the things uh, that, were com- that were commanded of us in the law. It, it, it was about something that we do to connect to God. That's the whole point of religion. Religion is what we do to connect to God. But the good news of the gospel, the way that Jesus shut down religion is that he came to free us from the obligation of the law and to end, religious one, end religion uh, once and for all. So to look at this, I want us to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We'll begin down in verse 32. It's a familiar passage as uh, we are uh, experiencing this, the execution, the crucifixion of Jesus. And so I want us to look at this together. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. So two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him and when they came to the place that is called the skull there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left now this is really important that these two criminals are mentioned every word in the scripture uh, is there for a reason so so the gospel writers are telling you these two criminals are executed on either side of Jesus and look with me at the verse 34 and Jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do. Now he is looking down upon his accusers. Uh, He's looking down upon the Romans, the centurions. He's looking down on the religious leaders who falsely accused him and had a mock trial. And he's saying, God, I want you to forgive them for they don't know what they do. And they cast lots... To divide for his garments so the soldiers are just they don't care this is just another execution one of the millions that the roman government had performed and so they're just down there gambling for jesus clothes and the people stood by watching but the ruler scoffed at him saying he saved others now this is important let him save himself if he is the christ of god is, is he the chosen one The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There it is a second time, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Now this is where it gets interesting because the two criminals that are on either side of him are about to play a really important role and I want you to pay special attention Uh, to each of them and their different approach as they talk to Jesus. So one of the criminals who were hanging railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? And here it is again, save yourself. And by the way, would you help us out too? Would you save us too? We're in the same condition you are. Save yourself and save us. But the other, the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, now this is truly the definition of a deathbed confession. I mean, here these two guys are, one on each side of them. One of them is joining in with the religious leaders and the soldiers, and is mocking Jesus and saying, hey, save yourself, and save us too. Why don't you do something if you're such a big shot? If you are who you say are, why don't you do something? Save yourself. But the other thief, the other criminal who's being executed, something, he, something about Jesus is resonating in his heart. He's connecting in some way, and he's basically he rebukes the other criminal and says, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You, don't you realize who this is? And he just cries out to Jesus saying would you just remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now that's an amazing statement of faith if you think about it. Because what kingdom is this king going to enter into? He's being crucified. Even Jesus' own disciples had abandoned him and left him and thought, hey, we've missed all this. He, we, don't, we, we, we thought he was gonna be the king. We thought he was gonna come in and take over and kick the Romans out. That clearly didn't work out because kings aren't crucified. But this one criminal next to him recognizes and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus responds in verse 43 and said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour with the, when the sun, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now in John's gospel, in John 19:30, John records Jesus' final words as it is finished to die, which also can be translated, paid in full. Something really significant happened at the death of Jesus. Luke goes on in verse 47. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, He praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowd that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now... I want you to notice something that's going on in this story, and and this is probably a familiar story to most of you. Uh, I mean, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've read the Bible, you know the story of Jesus, his crucifixion, even the two thieves on each side is something that we're all familiar with. But I want you to notice the collusion that is taking place here. That's a word we've used a lot in the last six months, collusion, but, but notice it in this story because there are some very unlikely bedfellows that are happening here. You've got the religious leaders, you've got these Jewish religious leaders, and you've got their Roman occupiers, and they are working together for one purpose, and that is the execution of Jesus. They don't get along about anything. They're mortal enemies, and yet somehow they come together for a common cause here. That the religious leaders and the pagan leaders alike are working to see Jesus crucified. The two two who had come to faith, there are two people in this story that we see that come to faith in the course of Jesus' execution. The second thief, the man who spoke second in the story who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the first guy, uh, that's the first one we understand came to faith. And then notice another person, the centurion, came to faith. Surely this was the Son of God. What have we done, basically, he says. Now, it's really interesting to me, because both of these two people understand that religion didn't save them. Uh, the, the guy who's dying on the cross didn't have time to go to confession. He didn't have time to take communion. He didn't have time to attend Sunday school. He didn't have time to read through the Bible. He didn't have time to get a part, be a part of a small group. All he had time to do was say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, you're in. You got it. Today you'll be with me in paradise. What an incredible promise. He didn't have to be religious. He didn't have to exercise any religion. Even this, this Roman centurion, this pagan who recognized something happened at the death of Jesus. He wasn't dependent on religion. Instead, he looked upon Jesus on the cross and said, I see God in that. That's an amazing story. So I want us to look at this as we wrap this series up and we talk about this idea of religion versus irreligion. Religion versus irreligion. Because I think they're remarkably similar. Uh, You know, there's this separation that we sometimes have in our culture today, a separation between the religious people and the humanists, uh, the secular humanists. Um, and so you see their responses captured in this story. First, first of all, notice the rulers, meaning the, the religious rulers. Look what it said in verse 35. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saves others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Look what the Roman soldiers said. Now these are the secular masses. These are the pagans. Look what they said in verse 36 and 37. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now listen to the words of the first thief. Now we don't know if he was Jewish. I mean, we can assume he was Jewish. We don't know, obviously he wasn't a very good Jew. He had, he had stolen, so he had already broken the commandments of Moses. But here he is, and he says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The pious religious leaders, the secular political hacks, are conspiring together to kill Jesus as you see it in the high priest, you see it in Herod, you see it in Pilate, all these people are working together, and you see they've got a, the same common denominator, all of them, the religious and the secular humanist. Look, look at this with me. Look what a secular humanist is. This definition uh, comes off the internet, so we know it's got to be right. Secular humanism, humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. That's what the secular humanist will tell you. Humanity is completely capable of morality and self-fulfillment and you do not need god for that now look what religion teaches us that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment with or through belief in god now do you notice what's similar that humanity is capable that that we can do this ourselves we can do it either out of our own self-fulfillment. We can do it out of our own knowledge, our own strength, or we can do it with or through our belief in God or our religion. But at the end of the day, both depend on our actions. So the answer cannot simply be, hey, we should just set religion aside and just be irreligious. That's not the answer. I love what Bruxy Cavey said about this. He said this, while nothing to, while, with nothing to fill the void the result of doing away with religion would hardly be an improvement history bears this out for every violent religious fundamentalist there is a violent secular fundamentalist for every Osama Bin Laden there is a Stalin now listen to it as he goes on nature abhors a vacuum and so does the human heart The human soul was created for a purpose, to be fully authentic, to become what it was made to be. The human soul needs more than the absence of something. It needs the presence of someone. This is so important. We need something more than just dead religion. But just to throw religion out is not the answer. We need something else do we we do see a person in this story who gets it and that's that second criminal listen to what he said but the other criminal the other criminal rebuked him and saying do you not fear god since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong and jesus response remember he says remember me when you come into your kingdom so both Religion and secular humanism rely entirely on our self-effort. Save yourself, they'll tell you. Secular humanists will say, hey, save yourself. It's all about your own knowledge. It's all about your acquisition of wealth and health and well-being. But the religious people will tell you the same thing. Save yourself through your religious activities. It's all about the rituals and the routines it's all about whether you've been to church. It's all about whether you've taken communion. It's all about whether you've prayed enough in the right direction to the right God. Both of them are about our self our effort Secular humanism, man is the ultimate source of authority and is responsible for himself. Religion, we are responsible through our, for our morality and self-righteous behavior to earn our own salvation. And the truth is, if we are capable of our own salvation... We would have already saved ourselves through human effort. There's not been any religion that has been able to do it, nor has the secular world been able, able to provide the peace and security that we all long for. We can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. With religion, and we can't save ourselves by avoiding religion, the gospel is the only thing that brings salvation. The gospel teaches us that we are not capable in our own power, but that God has done the work for us on the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, he was putting an end to religion once and for all. So as we bring this series to a close, and I hope you'll join us tonight for our talkback session with maybe some questions and comments that, that you've got for it. I just want to ask you, and, and maybe after you get offline, you would just um, find a quiet place to reflect on this. Are, are you ready to give up trying to save yourself? Are you ready to give up trying to save yourself? Now I'm talking to two very different groups of people. I'm talking to those who would call themselves religious you go to church all the time. This 8 weeks is really a a huge a huge curveball for you because you are you are in church every time the doors are open. Is your religion about saving yourself? And for those of you who would say I'm not religious. I just happen to be looking at this service online. Are are you tired of trying to save yourself? Are you try, tired of trying to fight your own shame and your own brokenness and Are you tired of trying to find ways to medicate yourself and medicate the pain? Either through religious efforts or through your own self-help secularism. Jesus offers you something better than religion and he offers you something better than irreligion. Jesus offers you a relationship with God and it is as simple as just accepting the gift, drinking the living water. It doesn't matter what the cup looks like. What you need is the living water of Jesus. And I want to invite you to make that make that living water yours by receiving it. You can join me as we pray, as we conclude this. uh, Maybe you would just pray this prayer. And if you want to reach out, if you want to talk to somebody more about any of this, let us know. Reach out to us. Uh, We'd be happy to pray with you, give you some more material, and let you know how you can continue in your relationship with Jesus. But would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I just come before you today and just confess... That my brokenness is too great for my own effort. That, Lord, I cannot save myself through religious means or through secular humanism and teaching. I just feel more broken and empty inside. And so, Lord, I invite the living water of Jesus to flood my heart and my soul and my mind and to make me new. Father, I I pray that I can find peace with you as I I cast my sins and my brokenness on the broken body of Jesus on the cross, that, that place where he ended religion and where he offers hope and life. Lord, I pray that you would give me the faith and the strength to follow after Jesus, not to be religious, but to adopt his life in my own and to become like him in all that I do. And Lord, for all those who are watching this live or may watch this later, I just pray uh, that the the hope of Jesus will fill their heart and fill their soul in this difficult day. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling and battling sickness um, because of COVID-19 or they've got loved ones they're worried about, for those who are just panicked and worried about what's going on, for those who are isolated and alone. And God, I just pray your Holy Spirit would bring comfort to them in this time and that, Father, you will use all of this uh, for our good and for your glory. We love you, and we thank you that you have come to give us life and that you've come to shut down religion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Grace and peace be with you. Thank you for listening. If you happen to live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you during our Wednesday or Sunday gatherings here on campus. For directions, service times, information about our wonderful next-gen children environments, please visit us at ssbc.org.